Good to see everyone this morning. We're going to close out our series called Recovering Redemption this morning. A big thanks to the guys who filled in for me and really took the second half of the series. Um, Allowed me to get some things done that I needed to get done. We had a daughter that wasn't feeling so good and allowed us to take good care of her. So we're thankful for that time. You also know this uh, Steve Serball is part of that rotation now. When I'm not up, he's part of the teaching team. And that's going to continue to be part of what we do as we continue to see good things out of him. So nevertheless, we're back today. And I'm going to close out Recovering Redemption with Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16. Now, when we get there, it's going to be familiar to some of you probably if you know a little bit about the Bible or a little bit about songs you used to sing in Sunday school. So I'll give you a little preview of where we're headed. This little light of mine, I'm going to. Anybody with me this morning on that one? Man, it's like one of those days, and they're like, I'm going to let it shine. I know. Okay. So that's where I'm not going to sing it for you, but that's where we're headed today, all right? This, is a little, this little light of mine message is where we're going. But before we do that, I want to make sure that we understand what we were trying to get at through Recovering Redemption. So a little review here of where we've been. Recovering Redemption was about going back and getting your redemption. Go back and get, go back to the place where God's love for us is most clearly expressed, and that would be the cross the giving of his son, and grab a hold of what was going on there. Why did the Son of God come? What was being accomplished? What does the arrival of Jesus, what does the death of Jesus, the, the arrival, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, what does that communicate? Do you know the cross is like a fountain of good things that your heart needs? And how is what the cross communicates exactly what your heart needs to change. That's what we were trying to to give you. A gospel-centered perspective on how to change or a Jesus perspective on how to change because I'll bet you wonder. Whether you're Christian or not, I'll bet, I know I do. Like, how does the Jesus stuff make a difference? Where's the change that I'm supposed to see in my own life? Listen, I'm Christian. I want to be changed. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't feel like I do. And I'll bet you if you're outside of faith, you look at Christianity and go, I don't see the change. Come on, I know that you do. I don't see the change, so why would I ever do anything? So what we tried to say is, listen, the key to all that, what your heart really needs to change is all wrapped up in this. So forget about everything else. Do you know that the the centerpiece of our faith is the giving of the Son for us, and it gets wrapped in church and religion and all that? You've got to strip it all away and go back there and see He came to redeem you, came to get you back. And that, in the end, is what your heart needs to know, and it will change you. So let's rehash it a little bit, and then we'll go. Why did he come? Why did God leave heaven and come here? Because everything's a mess. Are we clear on that? There isn't any of us that can stand on the planet and say to God, let's say that we do believe he's there. Maybe you don't believe he's there, but if you do, you can't stand on the planet and go, hey, don't worry about it, we got it. We got fat. We're killing each other by the thousands, but we'll handle it. And our best ideas will never fix it. Some of our best ideas are democracy, capitalism, technology. Those things will not fix it. Syria just needs a democracy. (laughs) Killers need new hearts. That's what will fix it. Technology was supposed to enhance human relationship. What has technology done to the relationships in your life? 
I text my daughter the other day from the kitchen. She was in her bedroom. <laughs> We're doomed, right? Like our best ideas don't work, all right? So he came because things are a mess. The fact that he did come means you matter. And I want to wake you up to that. Do you know this morning that you matter to God? And I, you probably... Listen, you go through seasons and you think he's not there and you think he doesn't care, but the very fact that he left heaven to come here means you matter. And it also means he's good because he came when we could not have cared less. And you might be someone this morning who said, I really couldn't care less. Even if you were to say to him directly, I keep act turning as if I'm speaking to God. So he's over here somewhere clearly this morning, all right? I don't care about you. You don't matter to me at all. Even when you say that right to him, you know what? He's still coming because the only reason he came, he never, he never came because you were worthy. Oh, they got potential. But he did come because you were worth it. You were worth it for him to come. You matter and he's good because when you treat anyone like that, you never get good back. When you treat someone terribly, when you treat them like they're an enemy and they don't matter, what do you get back from them? The same response. But with God, you don't get that because he's, he's exceedingly good. And we are not. No one in here wants to be fully known. And the reason you don't want to be fully known is because you and I, we all have sin. And sin that we keep hidden, we hide it because sin always brings with it, it's like, it's like someone that shows up with the door with baggage. Every time you sin, it brings shame and guilt. And they're like, we're here. <laughs> Where should we move in? And you just clean off a little part in your heart, and then they just move in. And you live with that. You sin and you hide it. And inside of us, every single one of us is circling sin, shame, and guilt. And so we hide it and pull back. And listen, you need a place to go with that stuff. Do you have a place to go with that stuff? Are you someone that you lay your head on the pillow at night and you start to replay the day and you like you drove your kids into the ground again with your words and you try to turn away from it and you try to turn with you like you've got hurts you're you've got sorrows you've got pains you've got all those things and they just weigh you down your daughter's sick and you can't fix it you have to have a place to go with all that do you have a place to go with all that because if you don't have a place to go with all that all the hurt and all the mess and all the sin, you will live a miserably heavy, one step at a time, life full of drudgery. You'll, you've got to have a place to get rid of it. And at the cross, Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take it all. Your sin, your shame, your guilt, your fear, your sorrow, I'll take it all. That's what we tried to get you to understand. There are so many descriptions about what happened at the cross. Will you please put out of your mind, Jesus died for my sins, I know. Like, understand what was taking place. The cross is where it is the taking away of your sin forever. It's the place you go with all the stuff that you can't deal with and that you can't beat and you can't manage. And he says, I'll take it. You have to read the descriptions. Isaiah 53 is a great description of what went down there. He was a man of sorrows. Who's he? Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. Surely God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It is the place where God took everything you can't deal with and it gave it to Christ. And he took it all for how long? Just for the day? 
forever. He took it away. I will forever make right those I will make holy. Why would he do that? It's the taking away of all that junk. Why would he do that? Because number one, he's good. He's exceedingly good. He's better than you will ever, ever know because he is just that good. And he wants you back. The thing that separates us in some degree, we don't love God or live for God because we have, we're wrapped up in all the hurt and the sorrow and the pain and the sin. And he wants us back with him, living for him and loving him again. That's the only way he's going to get it away forever. And he wants you to be something new, to have a shot at something new. Do you want to be something new? Or do you just want to keep going through all this garbage that you're going through? And this gives you a shot to be something new, something different, free from all that. It is a fountain of, it's a fountain of this, mercy new every day. Do you need mercy new every day? I need mercy new every day because every day I absolutely blow it. And I have to have a place to go with it. And if you don't have a place to go with it, you're stuck. And you'll feel it. I need mercy new every day. You know what? Your heart needs mercy new every day. And if you get it, it'll change you. It's a fountain for mercy. It's a fountain for justification. We talked about that. You know what justification is? God says, I declare you innocent, which is a joke. I'm not not innocent. Are you innocent? Are you innocent? You're not innocent. And he says, I declare you innocent because at the cross, I gave my son justice. I gave him what the law demanded, but I gave you justification. It makes you right. It makes you you need that freedom. It, it makes you free. It, uh, it's a fountain for mercy, for justification, for adoption. We talked about adoption. At the cross, God says, hey, you fit here. You fit with me. You belong with me. Do you know your heart needs to know that you belong somewhere? A good family can actually give it to you. Everybody needs, I don't care how cool and slick you are, you got it all together, you look good on the outside. Inside, you need to know that you belong somewhere and it doesn't matter how bad you blow it, you still fit with them and that it's still for sure. You, ha- you have to have that. A good family can give that to you a little bit. It'll still falter and fail because it's people. But here God says, hey, you fit. Always you fit. You belong. Hope. It is a fountain for hope. Do you know if you have hope for a future, it will change your today. If you have no hope for what's coming, it will change your today. You'll live in drudgery if you know that there's nothing good coming. There's a big thing that's coming. It's called death. Right after the cross, Jesus beat death. That's the last thing we can't beat. And so if he beat it and we get with him, we can beat it too. And that actually changes, it changes the way you live today. It's a fountain for all those things. And here's what happens. At the cross, it becomes a fountain for all that stuff. And do you know, the, it's called the good news. It's the gospel. And I'll steal a word from our message today, salt. The gospel said to be salt, and it sits on your heart. What happens, today's an easy day because we can think of it. What happens when you put salt on something, on anything in particular today? What happens when you put salt on ice? Or any, nothing at first, right? But then slowly over time, what happens? Ah, it starts to, the gospel is salt. You come here and we, we salt your heart. God salts your heart with this good news and eventually over time starts to sink in. And that, when mercy and love and God is after you and for you, that starts to, it starts to change you. And here's the thing I love about it. Not just the first time, every time you go back. That's what I love about it. It's not just, listen, I felt, I know the good news sinking into my heart. It's like when the, on that one big occasion the first time, right? When the preacher brought the, 
brought the message up to the, to the emotional point, and you're like, well, I knew it was, you know, they played the right song, and you're like, I need Jesus, you know, and you like go down, and you're crying, right? Did it assault your heart that day? Did mine. I was that guy, I cried, went down, all that whole, I did it. Here's the thing, though. It will do it every time. Not just one time, every time. If you go back and recover your redemption. Some of you, your heart, some of you at one point in time, this thing melted your heart. It did. It was in and on it and good. And then you got away from it and your heart froze back over. Do you know what happened? Like me, there are people who do not believe anymore because they've grown up and they got away from their sheltered childhood and they got out into the wider world and they figured out they're enlightened and they're so much smarter now and all of it was nonsense. No, it wasn't. Here's what happened. It was a single thing. You strip all the rest of it off. The, the gospel is packaged in a way that can be off-putting. It's packaged in church. Church is full of messed up people. It's packaged in religion, which is all messed up too. And you looked at the whole thing and you dismissed it all. But what you really did, and maybe you were never there, you got away from the truth. You got away from the salting truths of that cross, which is God is for you. He's after you. He doesn't care if you hate him or not. He's still coming because he's just that good and he's relentless and he never stops and he never stops. And guess what? In the end, you will, ne- you will not resist his amazing grace. You got to go back. Go back. Recover your redemption. You're like, it's a crutch. It's a crutch for weak Christians. Yep. And you need it. <laughs> you're, you're right. You, it's a crutch. We all limp. We need some place to go with it, and that's the place, and you need it too. Here's what happens. That starts to sink in, and it changes you. Pretty soon, you're able to say, when the, when the truths of that gospel sink in, start to change you, you're able to say, God, I think I love you. I can say that I love God only because he loves me first, and then if I love him, what comes next? Obedience. I start to do what he says. And if it's, I start to do what he says, I'm not doing what I used to do anymore, that leads to transformation. It's a new you. Obedience, the, the cross is the engine actually for love for God. It's the engine for obedience. And when you start to do what he said, you become somebody different. It's still you, but you're not doing you stuff. You're doing God stuff. And that makes you not you anymore. That makes you new. All of a sudden, you're somebody different. It's called sanctification. I don't know. I forever will make right those I will make holy. And it just keeps going and going and going. That's the four-minute review of what we tried to get nailed down. So I hope that some of that's going off in you. I know your heart needs it. My heart needs it. And listen, you won't outrun it at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how much you hate God. You'll never shove him away. He just keeps coming and coming and coming. So here's my advice. Just give up today. <laughs> because he's coming for you anyway. And you need it and you know you do. Everybody needs mercy. Everybody needs to be declared innocent. Everybody needs adoption to belong. Everybody needs it. and It'll make you new. So I was hoping that that would go off in you. Now, here's where we go today. Well, what do you do with it? If the good news really has changed you, then don't keep it to yourself. If the good news has produced something new in you, then spread the news. Let your light shine, as it were. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Here's our text for the day. 
Jesus says it this way. This is actually the Sermon on the Mount. We're jumping into the middle. We'll actually get back to the beginning of it before we're all done today. But here's what it says. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are to be a particular flavor to the world. You are the light of the world. You're supposed to let what God has done in you shine in some way. And so we'll break that down over the next 29 and a half minutes. Sound good? Let's pray and we'll go. Oh Lord, I'm thankful for the word. Thankful for this word today. Thankful for uh, the cross. And I, I know there's people in here today, their hearts are just iced over. Who cares? I just pray today that they give up. They stop running away. They realize oh, this is foolishness. It's futile and they come back to you. Um, I do pray too also that salt and light take on meaning for us today and we, we leave out of here understanding that that's a charge that you give us to go and be, but it's actually a charge you, you produce in us. Help us to see that. It takes all the pressure off. Um, and ultimately our text says so that you would get the glory. So we want to live in such a way that you get the glory. So help us to do that. And we ask it in the good and great name of Jesus. And everybody said, all right. So we'll start right in. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. So who's he talking to? Who is the you? Now we know that this is the Sermon on the Mount. So he's, well, I know it is. I don't, do you know it is? This is what it is. So it's one of the longest sermons in the Bible. It's maybe the longest one that was recorded by Jesus. It's in Matthew 5. Six and seven. And so we know that the you, he's talking to his disciples, but the you is this. It's people who the gospel, the good news, has salted its way in, that it has indeed changed them. So this is not everybody. This is for those who really have been changed by the good news. So you are the salt of the earth. And the fact that he calls them salt means this. He's referring to something. He says you are to have a certain kind of taste or flavor to the world. There's a lot we could talk about in terms of salt. Salt has lots of properties, and we could say, well, he, by salt, by calling them salt, he meant this. By calling them salt, he meant this. But by calling them salt, we know from our text that he means you're supposed to have a particular flavor to the world because right after it, he warns them about don't lose your saltiness or don't lose your taste. So you're supposed to have a certain taste to people. You're out in the world, listen, you've got a flavor. Other people can sample that, if you will, through your interactions with them. All right? So... What sort of flavor should Jesus' people be? Now, there's a lot of words that we can put in here, right? We can put in, you know, how are Jesus' people supposed to be in the world? What are, what are the words? Loving, forgiving, kind, nice, happy, right? We can put all kinds of things, all right, that, that someone's supposed to be. But we don't have to fill it in because Jesus actually fills it in for us. And the first part of this sermon is something called the Beatitudes. So you're, maybe you're familiar with that or not. But there's a whole list. Right before he gets to this salt and light piece, he says, he goes through this whole list. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the... Are you familiar with those? It's the Beatitudes. But, but here, a lot of times those are just preached separate. Like the Beatitudes are never connected to this little light of mine. And I've never connected them either. But the author of our series actually connects them, and so we're going to here because it makes sense. Let's not 
that the attitudes are the saltiness that's supposed to come out. So, and it does make sense because it wouldn't have been a pause when he was preaching it. If you, can, if you can hear like that, like, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a certain attitude that comes out. They shall have it. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You then, all that, you are the salt of the earth. So we're going to connect them today. I never knew that. I never knew the Beatitudes were connected to this little light of mine, but I think they are. So I'm pretty excited about that. This is my big takeaway from this. That's, that is the pinnacle of this message. So you can go now. <laughs> That's the big moment. So what is that saltiness? He tells us the kind of flavor. So this is a great check. We're going to go through some of those beatitudes. And here's the way I said it. You will know the good news of the gospel has sunk into you if these attitudes are coming out. So it's a great check to see, are these attitudes alive in you? You're, you're someone who claims that you know Christ. Are, are they alive in you? And so we'll ask that question. So um, I would say this before we get in. It's always dangerous when we read a list of good things. We're getting ready to, to read a list of good things. And when you do that, the disposition of our hearts is to take that list and try to do it. See, we're religious people. And religious people at heart, what we try to do is we try to do good things to please God so that he'll be happy and then he'll bless us. So I want to try to get us away from that. It's, when, you, when you go through the attitudes, these attitudes are are something that the gospel produces in you. It's not attitude you're trying to conjure up on your, on your own, like, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay, I gotta be merciful. And then we can catch God, you know, off guard, like, hey, there's Chad being merciful, and he's never merciful. Let's give him some mercy. It's, it's never like that. It is never with God and the gospel, okay, I did this and God did this. I did this, so God did that. It's always this way. You get what God did for you, and then it changes you, and you do something else. It's always God first, and then you. Every good list you'll ever read in the Bible, all of it is produced by what God did. It's not something you're supposed to produce on your own because you can't. So don't hold these attitudes. It's like, all right, I got to be more poor in spirit, whatever that means. It's not that. Listen, it. What is our only job when it comes to Jesus? What is the only work we're supposed to do? This is actually John chapter 6. What does he say? They asked Jesus, what are the works of God? What should we do? And he says, you have one work, and that is to believe. You, the only thing you have to do when it comes to Christ and all this, you have to believe that he really was who he said he was, and he really did what he said he did, and it really was for you and God's glory, and you believe that. And if that sinks in, then the rest will happen. It will change you. But never try to do it the other way around. So, what does the gospel produce in us? Here we go. Blessed are, this is the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So poor in spirit would be the attitude here. And for each one of these, I just put a, a, like a working definition. So you can get an idea of what's being said here. But this, and here's what I want you to do with all these. Is this attitude alive in you? So blessed are the poor, those are people that they know they can't get to God on their own. So here's how the gospel produces that. I've said this lots and lots of times. The gospel is the revelation of who God is way up here and the revelation of who we are way down here. And we, we try to separate them as far as we can because if you can get a, a grip on that gap, it makes you, it's like, it's poor in spirit. You realize that there's no way I can get to God. You realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. You can't do it. Have you ever really got a hold of that? Has that gripped you like you can't do it on your own? That is to be poor in spirit, bankrupt. 
Can you get there? Now, here's what happens. That is the gospel. It pushes it apart. It pushes it apart. When, you, when it's real far apart, it actually breeds a hopelessness in you. And when it's so far apart, what do you do? You know you can't get there by yourself. And so you, you have to look for what? You got to look for help. You got to look for a way to somebody to come in there and bridge that for you. Religion is just the opposite. Religion actually brings the two together. A religious heart says, well, if I'm just a good person, then God will be pleased and he'll bless me and everything will be okay. So religion actually pulls God down here like his standard drops down. He's really not high and lifted up. He's right here. And it says, I can actually do this on my own. I can do some of these good deeds and it moves our ability to do them up here. And when us and God get closer together, we can actually do it and we don't even need any help. The gospel pushes it far, far away so that we have this poverty of spirit. We realize we can't. Here's the crazy thing about getting all that God has for you. The only people that get all that God has for you are the people who know you can't get it on your own. The only one invited into the kingdom of God, if you will, to get all that God has are those who give up and realize, I can't and I need some help. So has that attitude ever been alive? Has that ever clicked? I need help. Two, blessed are they that mourn. Now, we use this one at funerals sometimes, and I, don't, I, I do think it fits, for they shall be comforted is the rest, but this is an attitude. But think about this one in terms of your first one, where the, the gap between you and God and the, the reason that's created is because of your sin. Blessed are they that mourn. Like, have you ever mourned over your sin like you hate your sin? That's an attitude. Are you someone who hates your sin? Not hating what, the, what your sin got you into, that's very different. Like, I, I know what it is to hate my sin because of the consequence. I was sitting in the drunk tank at the Wells County lockup, and I was hating my sin, but only because I knew my dad was coming soon. <laughs> that's, that's worldly grief over sin. That's not like oh, I sinned against God. That's not, that's not this way. It's just I'm not talking about being being sorrowful about your sin because you got caught. I mean, you realize that it's against God and, it, and you hate it, like you turn against it. Do you hate your sin? Does that come out of you? Is that the sort of person, that attitude alive in you? I love the analogy in the book um, where it was this, it was the analogy of the people that make wild animals their pets. Have you ever seen this? And it, it, it was tied to what we do with sin. Here's a guy, right? There's always those people, right? They like make, what happened? What do you always see at some point in time down the road? Like what always happens to that guy? You always read it in the paper. All of a sudden what? The lion did what? It ate him, right? And everyone's always surprised. Like, I can't believe the lion ate him. Well, that's what lions do. <laughs> like no one should, if you make a tiger your pet, it's going to eat you. That's, I'm not saying it ate that guy. I'm just saying that's what lions do. And that's, that's what we do with sin. We're like, we bring it in and listen, you know what it is and it sits in your life and you, it trips you and it trips you and it bites you and it bites you. And listen, sin ultimately kills you. That's what it does. And you can't just put it on a leash and keep it in your life and say, I can handle it. It will eat you. It will kill you. And so the attitude is you turn on it with everything you have to get it out. This is, this is uh, Hebrews 4, I think. It says, have you yet? It actually says that we have not. You have not yet fought against your sin to the point of shedding blood. The cross is actually the estimation of how much God hates sin. Have you ever thought it that way? He hated sin so much, he was willing for his own son to die to get rid of it. That is huge amount of hate for sin. 
And, and that sort of hate towards sin is supposed to be alive in us too. Blessed are they that mourn. You hate your sin. All right, next one is meek. And this is not like, blessed are the passive wussies, you know, that, and which meek has that idea, you know, this, these wimpy sort of, you know, pushover passive people. That's not meek at all. Um, I, and I like the description that was used in our workbook, and, and I'll try to use it here too. Meek is this. Here's my definition. Someone who's meek is someone who knows that everything they have has been given to them by God. There's lots of stuff in your hands, but your disposition is, your attitude is, everything I have has been given to me by God. And that actually changes the way you hang on to stuff. It changes the way you deal with stuff. Now, here was the description. Um, it was about a businessman, and, I, and I'll use a businessman to show you meek. I knew a businessman from a distance, um, nice guys, always seemed to be nice, and I knew that he was in business, but I just have recently um, been able to see his business up close, and, and I, I never knew. It is a massive operation. I've known this guy for a long time, but I never knew all that he had. I went over there, and he just had buildings and trucks and spread and sprawl. Multi-million dollar corporations are his customers and they like him and they're saying like, you need to buy more trucks and you need to do this. And like, it's huge and I never ever knew it. This guy is incredibly wealthy. Because of his wealth, he has all kinds of power, if you will, in this world because money does give you a certain kind of power. But you, to see this guy, you would never know it. He's, here's, here's what marks him. He's gentle and he's humble. But, but he's not like, but he's a hard charger. Don't get me wrong. Like he knows what he's after. He's, a, he's dynamic. He goes after it. He knows what his gifts are. He's sharp. He's, he's a hard charger in terms of business. So like underneath the water, man, it's churning and he's all about it. But you never see that really. He's always so, he's just gentle and he's kind. It is, it's weird. But you know why? You know what makes him wait? Because he never, uh, uh, he never says, all that stuff that I have is me and it was mine. He's so very quick to tell you, all that I have came from God. He's been so affected by Jesus and who he is that he just knows, like, yeah, I work hard, but God has blessed me so much. And so that actually changes the way that you handle things. And um, his meekness, and man, that's a flavor. That's an attitude. And, and I actually got to, that's a certain kind of saltiness that comes from the cross. And I got to experience it. And let me just tell you how it, it drew me in. Here's, I'll extend this one out because this is where we're going with all of them, right? We're talking about these attitudes that are salt. And then these attitudes are supposed to be alive in us. And then we let other people taste them as it were for the glory of God and then to draw them in, right? That's the whole idea. Let your light shine and be salty. So this is how it happened. I knew that he employed all kinds of mechanics. I had a boat problem and I needed a mechanic. So I called him. I just asked for the guy's number. I'm like, hey, can I have your mechanic's number? I'll set the whole thing up. And he's like, well, I'll just stop by and take a look at it. I'm like, you don't need to do that. I mean, he's, he runs a huge corporation. He does not have time to stop by my house and look at my junky boat. But he does. He's like, I'll just, and he looked at it. So then he took the carburetor off and he took it back. But I wasn't even home and he just sent me a text. He's like, hey, I have your carburetor. I'm like, you don't have to do that. This is silly. You don't have time. Oh, nonsense. 
So then he brought, a week later he brought it back and he was in town to take his daughter and their family out to eat, but he stopped by and his wife was with him and he pulled in. He's like, hey, I'm stopping by, I have it. And he got out and he had all his like nice dinner clothes on, but he had this greasy carburetor in his hand and he was walking toward it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, just go do, like, you don't need to do this. I can, he's like, no. So he jumps in because we, here's the thing. He's a hard charger. Like he knows what it is to get a job done and that's who he is, but he's just nice and kind and humble and he just wants to help. So he just bolted it on there. And, and here's the thing that I noticed about him that I really liked. His wife was in the truck and she just said, five or 25, which means you're gonna be five minutes or 25 minutes because apparently he does this a lot. And he's like, and, he, and it was really sweet. He was like, 25 dear. She's like, okay, a big spot. Do you, know, do you know why a wife in a truck would receive 25 minutes and smile and say, okay, honey, and drive away and be nice. Do you know why she would have that disposition? Because he treats her wonderfully. It has to be the case. She was fine. She just rolled back in 25 minutes and we were done. Do you know what he said when we had it done? He's like, we got to run this thing. I'm like, it's cold. We should just put it away in the barn. He's, no, but he can't help himself. He's like, so a few days later, he's like, I know a guy with a pond. And so we went and he put it in a pond for me. And he's like, hammer down. You know, he wanted to drive the thing. So we did. We got halfway out there. It was a long, skinny lake beside Highway 30. We were rolling, and it died because apparently he's not a great mechanic. <laughs> we got stuck out there. So he and I, he and I had to push this boat all the way back in our boxers, jumping in and pushing it in freezing water along Highway 30. Here's the thing. He's a powerful, busy man. But you would never know. He is meek. He's gentle, he's kind, and he's humble. And he recognizes that everything he has comes from somebody else. And so he freely gives. And here's what happens. I would listen to anything he would have to say. Why? He served me. He's humble, he's kind, he's gentle. If, he, if I was a non-Christian and he wanted to start talking about Jesus, I would listen. Why? Because of the way he is. And that's the thing about this saltiness and this light that I love. It's not even, we get this idea that we're supposed to go and do something with it, you know? But if you actually are these things, it draws people to you. Like, like bugs to a bug zapper. It actually has the reverse, it has the reverse effect. You don't need to run people down with the gospel, which is sometimes the message with salt and light, isn't it? Gotta let your light shine, so you gotta run out there and like overpower people with the gospel. Not so. If you just let what God has worked into you out, it actually draws people in. You just have to be ready to give an answer. This is 1 Peter 3. You just have to be ready to give an answer for why you have so much hope. That is salty. All right, meek. Took way too much time on that one. We got to fly. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you someone, do you have this attitude that you want the big things from God? Do you want all of that from God? Do you want God in, in, in huge gulps? And do you know you'll never have this attitude where you want everything from God if you first don't see that he is for your, he's for your joy? There's two big parts about God, and I think we know them pretty well. There's the cross part about God, and then there's the law part about God. 
Every, laws mostly the Old Testament. Have you read the Old Testament lately? Lots of rules. Are you familiar with those? And there's something about those rules that makes you think what? That God is, he's like not for my joy. If I do that stuff, man, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be joyful. But the cross part, we're like, okay, I can get that. That was a pretty nice thing to do. I think he really is for my best. But the two are together. And when you can start to see that the two aren't the same, do you know that they're both the same? That both the cross and the law both the rules and the grace, do you realize they're both for your absolute best and joy? And when you start to see that and taste it and get it, right, then you will hunger and thirst for more of it. It's not just at the cross that God is for your joy. It's with the rules too. And if you just start to look at them, just try a few of them. What are, all, what are some of the commands that he lays down for us? Like, don't steal other people's stuff. <laughs> Who's that for, him or you? <laughs> That's for you. <laughs> That's for you, Sorry. You know, don't, don't, don't cheat. Uh, like, if your neighbors, let his wife be his wife and your wife be your wife. And don't trade. Who's that for? That's for you. Like, just the basics. Um, he says in marriage, leave and cleave. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Try it without. No, it's for you. You guys stay on the same page. Like, you find out that all the stuff he has, just try it. All the rules, just try it. It's really for your joy. And if you do it his way, you will be joyful. And when you try it, the cross is exceedingly good, but so are all the rules. And when you actually taste them and see that it's good, you know what? You'll just want more and more and more of it. That's an attitude. Are you someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? Because you will be filled, it says. You'll be satisfied. All right, so I took way too much time. We've got four more attitudes, but I gotta jump to the end, all right? Listen, the, 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 the rest of them, there's... there's pure in heart, there's peacemaking, there's persecuted, there's all these different attitudes. But here's, here's the point. That's the saltiness that the gospel produces. Those are the attitudes that are supposed to come out of you. So you put it all together. Yeah, there's the persecuted. That's the last one. So I put it all together like this. Hear it like this. Like Jesus was reading it like this. So he just got done, blessed are you, blessed are you. He describes all these attitudes. Okay, now listen. After all that, you poor in spirit, you haters of your own sin, you hard chargers after me, you meek, mild, merciful, heart guarding, persecuted peacemakers, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Do you see it? Do you see the connection? Because all those attitudes, they don't look anything like the world, do they? Poor in spirit, mourning, brokenhearted, hunger and thirst for righteousness, that doesn't look like the world, does it? He says, so you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then he says just two things. Here's the takeaway, which I love. Stay salty. Stay salty, my friends, right? Stay salty and don't hide it. Those are the takeaways. Stay salty and don't hide it, which I love because here's why I love that. Because it's doable. Here's what always happens with the salt and light message to me. You leave out of here with salt and light and you think you have to throw yourself into new patterns to let your light shine, don't you? So a lot of times the takeaway to the salt and light message is what? Okay, you got to start a small group in your home. You got to invite, you got to go over to your neighbor and throw your elbow over the fence and you got to start a spiritual conversation with a guy that you don't talk to very much. You have to like revive Indiana has been coming around. So you got to go jump onto the revive thing and they're going to give you a Bible and a bracelet and you got to go out and hit the streets with the gospel. Do you realize that all of those are huge things to me? Do you realize that those things, every time I hear those things, I feel like I can't because that's just not me to do that. 
Do those things seem like big things to you? I mean, is that, now to some of you are like, absolutely, let's go do that. But to most of us, you're like, I ain't doing that. And so do you know what the sum takeaway to the salt and light message usually is? Nothing. Because the things are too big. They're too big. The takeaways are too big. And so you won't go do it because you're probably not going to invite a small group into your home tomorrow just because I said salt and light. You're not doing it, are you? Some of you will because you already do because that's who you are. But those of us who are not, we're not. That's why I love it. All he says is stay salty and don't hide it because you already have plenty of relationships going on in your life. You don't need to go jump into new patterns. You got plenty of relationships right now that you can shine into. You, you already do. So all you have to do in those relationships is not hide it. I love it because every single one of us can do it. Even I can do that. So here's the takeaway. Let, let me just, there's three fill in the blanks and then we'll wrap her down. Here's what, can we put those up? Here's the first one. Here's what you do. And the response to this. I want you to check yourself for those attitudes. Are those attitudes that he laid out in the first part of his sermon, are they alive in you? Do you have them? So check. And if they're not alive in you, where do you need to go? Thank you. Who said cross? I just want to give you a sticker and a cookie and a bozo button because that, you got it. That's what we're trying to do. You got to go back here because it's the only thing that can generate it. So check, check if the attitudes are there. Two, stay salty, my friends. And here, listen, do you see he has a warning? So it's possible to lose your saltiness. It's possible to lose that flavor. And I'm here to tell you that I have. It's possible for me to be Christian 17 years, whatever it's been, and I get to a place, a season where things dry up and I don't think God is really for me and I can get pretty stale and pretty sour. He actually says, oh, that's a bad, let me just read a commentary here because when I read the commentary, it described me. See if I can find it. It's Matthew Henry and it talks about this. Listen to this right here. Jesus is saying, stay salty because it's possible for you to lose a gospel flavor. Listen to this. If you who should season others are yourselves unsavory, void of spiritual life, relish and vigor, if a Christian be so, especially a minister, how very sad. So clearly I was paying attention at this point reading the commentary because I felt like that was me. I felt like I had lost vigor and I felt like I was pretty sure I was a minister. And so I knew the situation was very sad. Listen, salt is the remedy for unsavory meat. Right, listen, we all know unsavory meat. All right? Your neighbor. All right. So he, the poor neighbor, he's always the unsavory guy. Probably the truth is he's more Christian than you. But anyway, right. It's like, oh, you got to worry about your neighbor. But there is no remedy for unsavory salt. Christianity will give a man a relish. But if a man can take up and continue the profession and yet remain flat, foolish, gra graceless, and insipid, no other means outside the good news will change him. And those words right there described me. Flat, foolish, graceless, and insipid. And I felt it in my own heart. He is, thence, he is thenceforth good for nothing, what use can he be put to that he would not do more harm than good? 
he is no longer good for anything, it says, but to be trampled. You can actually, if you become unsavory, be more harm than good as a Christian. That was huge. Shocked me back. I read that. Like, I needed shocked back. Of all the text I've read in the last 30 days, that was the one I needed. It shocked me because, listen, he's like, hey, minister, if you become unsavory, the gospel's everything you need. You've become unsavory. You're good for nothing. We'll just trample you under the feet and move on. We'll find the next guy. I'm like, I don't want to be left out of that. I want to go back. So I went back. I said, I was sorry. Like, don't kick me out. It, stay salty. And the only way you stay salty, where do we have to go again? Where's my guy? Thank you. Check it. Stay salty. And then just don't hide it. You already have plenty of relationships in your life. And here's the thing. Do you know that you're already salt and light in those relationships anyway? Take all the gospel meaning that I just laid out. Take it all away. And let's just think about salt and light for a moment. Salt is a flavor. Light shines something in. Without all this gospel stuff, you're already salt and light anyway. You're already a certain flavor, and you're already shining something into your life anyway, good or bad. Do you realize that? There's not a single relationship you have that you are not impacting in some way. Take the gospel out. So what is it? What is your attitude, mostly? And we're terrible people to ask because we always guess something better than what it really is. The best people to ask are those people who live with us because they'll tell us. They won't even tell us the truth, which is troubling, but they should. I'll give you some examples, and this comes from the Myers-Briggs type inventory or type something or other. We do this at Life with the staff because we're all so very different, and it helps us to understand what other people are naturally, kind of without the gospel. It's how they were made together. There are 16 different personality types. Every single one of you, if I make the definition wide enough, would probably have a flavor or a light. You're going to shine this into someone's life without the gospel anyway. All right? So these things like rational and confident and domineering. And it's hard for us to be able to pick which one we are. We need help. Other people need to tell us because, you know, my, my wife might say to, to our kids, I'm just concerned. And they're like, no, you're overbearing. I'm just emotional. No, you're crazy, right? So you probably don't know what it is, but know this, you're something. You're not nothing. There's lots of relationships, and you're salt and light already without the gospel. I, trust me, you are, and it would be good to ask. This, this was a painful way a couple of moms find, found out, and then I'll wrap this up. Um, I actually know these two ladies. They asked their kids, I don't know what grade they're in, like kindergarten, first grade, I want you to describe your mommy. And they put it on an acorn. It was a fall thing. And then they put the acorns up of all the descriptions of what their mom was, put it in the hallway. So if those of you have little kids coming up, <laughs> be careful about this one. Describe your mommy. <laughs> What's she like? And then they put the, they wrote it all down and they put the acorns up at parent-teacher conference. And then all the parents... In the class, they walk by and they get to read what your kid said about you, all right? So here's the, the deal. You know, they're both Christian ladies, all right? But their kids write very different things. One writes, you know, funny, is funny girl, um, but about halfway down, loves Jesus. The other one writes, you know, party girl, loves to drink beer. Like, and you know what? They're both right. 
No one's more accurate than the kid. The kid knows what the salt and light is, don't they? Party girl loves to drink. What I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. Okay, we'll take those down because you guys are reading them all. Here's what I'm saying. You're already shining something. You're already shining something. Don't hide this. Don't hide it. And I can do that. You can do that. Make sure in those relationships that you've got, you don't need to jump into new rhythms in your life. You don't. In the ones that you have, stay salty and make sure that the attitude that you're putting forth in some way resembles the gospel that you say you love. Amen? All right. Um, recovering redemption, then, the final stage is, if it's made any difference to you at all, don't keep it to yourself. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thanks for uh, just a good word. Thanks for your sermon. And it's good to hear. And it's so very doable because we don't have to do anything different. You worked it in us. All we got to do is let it out. You always do all the work. Thank you. We need it because we just can't do anything by ourselves. So may we all, I don't know where we are in our faith journey, just recover redemption, hold tight to that, figure out all that was for us. May we get that you loved us first. And it, it will change everything. It will change us. So I pray that and I ask it in the good and great name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen.